Ah, yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. I'm Josh Roller, and right next to me, 425 miles away as the crow flies, is Rob Peters. Hi, Rob. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Well, we are coming uh, to you from our living rooms in Charlotte and Indianapolis. I can't say this enough, but we missed the real physical car roaring on the racetracks. Rob and I are so thankful that the virtual world is here to help us out. And most sport fans alike are spoiled in that regard. Uh, definitely the virtual world, uh, whether it's an iRacing or it's a, the, the video game format, outside of the spectrum, we're glad it's here. Uh, we'll specifically discuss a few of them today, including the meeting voyage on television for the IndyCar iRacing Challenge and the first two nights NBC Esports short track iRacing. Challenge on NBCSN uh, as part of Racing Week in America. Hopefully, you're tuning in and watching that. Uh, so, we're glad you joined us today. Rob has a lot to talk about. Rob kicks off the Rob Racing Port. Yeah, hey guys, there's, uh, there's a lot of news to t- talk about and digest this week. Uh, so, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into it. So, let's start with some breaking news that happened basically right before we just started recording. Formula One has announced a postponement of the Canadian Grand Prix, which was scheduled to take place on June 12th through the 14th. Now, the provisional first race of the 2020 Formula One World Championship is now the French Grand Prix on June 28th. Uh, so, we'll see what happens there. Again, hoping if we can get this curve flattened here worldwide, maybe that'll actually be a legitimate possibility. We'll see. Uh, I like the French Grand Prix, but I really like the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, I'm just really disappointed to see a lot of these Formula One Grand Prix end up being postponed, and unfortunately, some of them are being canceled. I don't like seeing that, but you know, it is it is what it is. We got to deal with it sometimes. Uh, next piece of news here: NBC Sports announced during the Racing Week in America, currently ongoing as we record the podcast, that NASCAR America on NBCSN will host the NBC Esports Short Track iRacing Challenge at the virtual track of Rockingham Speedway, Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis. Myrtle Beach Speedway, and then Martinsville. We will discuss the races at Rockingham and Lucas Oil Raceway uh, later. If you're listening to this in time, so happy Wednesday. Uh, watch the the races at Myr- Myrtle Beach on Wednesday, April 8th, so that would be tonight. And then the championship race at Martinsville Speedway. Six drivers compete in the first three nights, uh, while ten race in the championship race. So more, uh, more iRacing, e-racing that we can watch during this uh, whole shutdown to get us going, get us through everything, which is more important. Uh, because I think we all need some racing here in our lives, uh, especially after some of this news here. More IndyCar schedule shakeups. Uh, so the track setup for the Detroit Grand Prix was about to start to take place, but with, you know, a curve's not flattened, COVID-19 still out there, it was determined that the race just couldn't be done. So they've go hold, gone ahead and canceled it. So what uh, IndyCar has decided to go ahead and do is make Iowa Speedway and WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca race weekends. Those are going to be double headers. So we're going to have two races at Iowa and then two races at Laguna Seca, which I think is going to be great for IndyCar because mm-hmm. I really love those double headers when we used to do it um, a lot more. I mean, obviously, we've had the duel in Detroit the last couple of years, but when we had those races at Toronto and uh, Houston, those were really, really fun, fun races to go because you got two races in, you know, in one weekend. Um, and I really, really liked the way that they did that. Um, and both races were different. So it'll be really interesting to see what it's like on an oval going to Iowa. Uh, of course, it is a short oval, so it's probably going to be entertaining to some degree. Not not the degree of maybe Texas or something, but I digress. Um, 
that's that's my personal bias. I'll just ignore the fact that I like big oval racing and Indy cars. Um, and so here's essentially what's going to happen after that. Uh, in addition to that, we've got a brand new race that was announced for the Indy cars. Uh, and so we'll have a third race now at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So we'll have the and, and this is what's going to be so interesting about it is you'll have the Grand Prix of Indianapolis. That's going to take place in the July 4th weekend. And then August 23rd, we're going to go to the Indianapolis 500, which is going to be very strange. I still am trying to wrap my head around the idea of racing the 500 in August. I just, I, wow. Um, but now, two days before my 25th birthday, uh, we'll be having the Harvest IndyCar Harvest Grand Prix, which will be the provisional season finale race, depending on... What they do with St. Petersburg, I don't know if they're going to cancel. I mean, they, they, I've seen pictures. It looks like they've completely demolished and torn, or not demolished, but taken up what was going to be the race. So they've removed it. Um, so I don't know if they're going to go ahead and remake the racetrack, the street circuit. Well, they have to because it's an airport. It's not a racetrack. So right. I mean, they're not going to just let a racetrack sit there for months on end. But the, yeah, but the question would be then is when when is a good time for them to go back to it? You know, what yeah. what is the most optimal time? And it's probably going to be difficult for them to get that in. So we're going to have to see what happens with that if that even happens. Uh, but more news on the IMS front at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So this is this is fun for me. But this race will run alongside the Intercontinental GT Challenge uh, with its North American counterpart, the GT World Challenge America. Uh, so the Indianapolis Eight Hour is scheduled Sunday, October fourth. So then this race will take place Saturday, October 3rd. So that'll be, that's, hey, that's a pretty good birthday weekend for me. I'm pretty excited about that. It's a good way to turn 25, I tell you what, right there. Uh, speaking of restart dates, NASCAR was on the phone call with Donald Trump and other sport league commissioners, which, wow, I mean, I, I think Adam Schefter tweeted out all, who he was all uh, on the phone with the other day. And, and there was a lot of sports people he was talking to a lot of high names up there I, I i would love to have been a fly on the wall and just listen to that and see just to hear what some of them are trying are, are trying to plan um so while it's not been made official as of tuesday night uh this is partly due we're, we're looking at the coca-cola 600 uh charlotte motor speedway being nascar's return weekend so if we get going by late may hopefully that will be success that will be our target date um, and so unofficially, essentially, Martinsville is not going to happen through May 9th because Virginia has placed a stay-at-home order until June 10th. So the night Martinsville race is probably going to end up being postponed. So NASCAR is also reaching out to fans, tracks, and teams for the possibility that the first races could be run without any fans present at the track. And to be honest with you, depending on where we are by May, that might not be a bad idea. We might want to get going, get the first few races run without any fans just so that we could get something going and then maybe if you know the curve continues to flatten if things actually start getting better by uh june hopefully then we can we could see uh people and and, and fans return to those tracks so that would be ideal uh we've got some uh, wheel and euro series news which boy I, you know what i miss i miss being up at odd hours watching the wheel and euro series on weekends those were always cool. Those were always fun to do because I usually watched them because they were usually in between like Formula 3 and Formula 2 races, you know, or before one or something like that. So it was always like, hey, I'm already pulling an all-nighter. I might as well just watch this too. Um, so, but there we're entering the esports world with the Euro NASCAR esports series. It'll start on April 21st and we'll have eight events with the last three being playoff races and awarding double points. 
And this is what's really surprising to me. This is the part that surprised me when I read it. It shocks me even now. But for an eSports first, participating drivers will also score points towards the real 2020 Euro Series Team Championship. So the season begins with an exhibition race on the virtual Daytona International Speedway Road Course. Points will not be awarded at that event, but points paying will begin the following week as the series goes to Brands Hatch and then at Zolder, Charlotte, Roval, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. So this is going to be really interesting because... I guess they're just saying, well, we're just going to award points for these e-events, these virtual events, and when we go back racing, those points will carry over. I have no idea how that's fair, but I guess it is. Um, yeah. We could talk about that later, but <laughs> that surprised me. That shocked me, and I think it's gotten some some differing opinions on, on from a lot of people, so... Uh, next piece here, uh, we've got uh, Garrett Smithley and Rick Ware Racing benefiting from Smith w- Smithley's iRacing performances. Gunbroker.com was partnered has partners with Smithley for five Pro Invitational Series events, including this past weekend at Bristol. They have also signed as the official sponsor for uh, Smithley uh, at the Rickyard 400, if that happens in July. We're hoping that it happens. I think it um, happens hey. in July. I really do. I think it happens. Okay. Well, I hope so. I hope so. We gotta, we gotta all stay home. Keep staying home. Draw that curve down. Uh, and then, of course, NASCAR has officially delayed the introduction of the next gen NASCAR Cup Series car until the 2022 season. We talked about this a little bit last week. I think both of us kind of agreed that that was a good idea for NASCAR to go ahead and do. Uh, but at the, at you know, it sounded like you know discussions were going like it was going to be a mid-season introduction in 2021. But I think. Uh, uh, better heads prevailed there and, and just completely delayed it until 2022, which I'm fine with. Um, no. I don't mind that at all. I think that's probably the better. You don't really want to go into, you don't, like I brought up last, last uh, week about when they did the carve tomorrow. And that was really a, a, a financial burden. And uh, that was a, a financial burden. And then it was just a, a big, it was just an overall burden for teams, you know, just, they didn't want to, it was just too much. Um, so now we have some TV rating news. We're going to go ahead and talk about Sundays, Saturdays, excuse me, IndyCar Virtual Honda, Indy Grand Prix of Alabama at the Virtual Barber Motorsports Park. Uh, that earned uh, 162,000 viewers on NBCSN, up uh, 100,000 viewers from just the streaming weekend before the before at Watkins Glen. So that's a big deal. And for the NASCAR side, we've got uh, the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series, which I still wish we could abbreviate, but we can't. Um, at the uh, virtual Bristol Motor Speedway, earned a 0.71 rating with uh, 1.179 million viewers. That was down from the weekend before Texas in both measures. But Adam Stern was kind enough to point out that IndyCar's numbers amounted to about 55% of those who watched the real race in 2019. And in NASCAR, their numbers totaled about 42% of those who watched the real race in 2019. Uh, and then finally, we've got uh, some NASCAR Hall of Fame news. And I'm excited about this because I always like hearing who's going up for nomination for the next Hall of Fame class. Uh, so the NASCAR Hall of Fame announced nominees for the class of 2021. Uh, so, And this is the first year they're going to be changing it up. So two are coming from the modern era. Um, and then we've got a pioneer ballot. So uh, we're going to see who... It's 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 going to be tough to get into the Hall of Fame now. You know, you, we, I'm so used to seeing five people from varying... Uh, years and decades of, of NASCAR going in, but now we're only seeing two from the modern era, and then we have a pioneer ballot as well. So uh, from the modern era ballot, the nominees are Neil Bonnet, Jeff Burton, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Carl Edwards, Harry Gant, Harry Hyde, Larry Phillips, Ricky Red, Kirk Shelverdine, and Mike Stefanik. And from the pioneer ba- ballot, 
which is only one. Uh, and I think, Josh, you know, you, you think it should be reversed, but those nominees are Jake Elder, Red Farmer, Banjo Matthews, Herschel McGriff, and Ralph Moody. Uh, so we'll see what happens on there, see what happens with the bat- the voting for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting that Carl Edwards and Dale Earnhardt Jr. are up for nomination already. That surprised me. I, for some reason, forgot that the eligibility requirements are different from the NASCAR Hall of Fame than every other Hall of Fame. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I, 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 I don't know. I won't. I won't make my I pick. I can already so tell you one in, guy who's going to get in and get voted. Who do you think is going to do it? Dale Earnhardt Jr. and someone else from the modern. I mean, Jr. is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You think so? Well, yes, I do. Well, I mean, popularity look, 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 will who look who he's in front of: Neil Bonnet, Harry Gant. Ricky Rudd, uh, he, Mike Stefanik. I mean, I, I look at those guys and I say Mike Stefanik should get in this one. It should be right. it, it, it should be Mike Stefanik. But here's the thing: Junior's got championship driving championships over a couple of those guys. He does. Whether, he does have the, the two Bush Xfinity series. championships. But uh, Bush Series championship. Carl Edwards has a Bush Series championship as well. Yes, um, yes. And he has two second place finishes in the Cup Series. He tied in 2011. So you mm-hmm. could. He's not a champion in 2011, but you could kind of say he was so close to being one i mean he was about as close as you could possibly come to being one yeah i would say if it's not dale jr it should at least go to carl edwards and and then mike stefanik i guess i'm gonna go ahead and say i mean neil bonnet is deserving i would love to see neil bonnet get in over maybe somebody else so if if carl edwards isn't gonna get in then neil bonnet should go in harry gant's also another guy mike Mike stefanik should be in should should be the first guy in absolutely you know he should have already been in there but when we talk about big names and recency bias, that, that voting room hasn't necessarily done Mike and drivers from hit for the lower divisions any favors. Well, and I think on older guys either. Most most people, I think, I don't know how many people on the voting committee of the Hall of Fame do as much research as probably I do. But at looking statistically, looking statistically, I've looked. You know, I have an idea right off the top of my head at Dale Jr.'s statistics. I mean, they're good, but mm-hmm. he's – I mean, he went through some slumps that mm-hmm. were – that that really affected his average points finish and his average finish overall of his career, whereas Carl Edwards really never had that happen. Um, he never had that happen at all. Uh, Ricky Rudd, kind of the same way. I think you could – the later part of the se- of his career, he was probably not as good, but he was still – you know, I think 2004, he had, he almost, that Kansas race where he was racing Joe Nemechek um, to, the, to the line. I mean, it's not like Ricky Rudd just kind of fell off the face of the earth. Dale Jr. didn't really fall off the face of the earth either. Uh, Jeff Burton, I don't want to say did either. Harry Gant, definitely, I don't think he did. Um, I don't know. That's th- Those are hard picks. Those are hard picks for me. Personally, I think it should go to someone who was a little bit older than someone who's a little bit more recent. I think, like you said, recency bias is going to come into play here. And I get it, but I think if you look at the statistics, if you're going to pick a recency bias win, it should be Carl Edwards, just because Carl Edwards is is yeah. the guy. I mean, if Mark Martin's in, Mark Martin's in, right? I think they yeah. is he in the Hall of Fame? Mark Martin, if, they, well, if Mark Martin's in the Hall of Fame, then Carl Edwards has to go in the Hall of Fame because Mark Martin. I mean, Carl Edwards is basically like Mark Martin, but just a little bit better. You know, if you know what I mean. Like Mark Martin was coulda, shoulda, woulda almost every year, but. I don't think they had. I don't. I don't think Edwards. I don't think Martin ever had a as close of a chance to win a championship as Carl Edwards did. I think Carl yeah. Edwards just just narrows them out in terms of guys who literally coulda, shoulda, woulda 
Uh, and I think about that 2011 championship all the time. I mean, you can you could give it to Tony Stewart, but ultimately you also have to remember that Carl Edwards was right in it to the very end and only lost it on a tiebreaker, on a technicality, because Stewart won the race. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if Edwards had won the race, he would have been there, but he finished second to Stewart. So again, yeah. you can't blame him. It's not like he did. He, he did everything he could. He just couldn't pass Stewart on the last lap, which I don't. I, again, I don't know. We won't talk about that. We'll go ahead and get into the featured paint scheme because the featured paint scheme for this week is the 2014 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, and I'm going to go ahead and go first because I got something to say about yep. this. Yeah, uh, I love. I love. I love the guy you picked. His his Xfinity Nationwide paint schemes. I yes, love it. Yes. 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 Uh, so my pick this week is, it's not a one-off scheme, but it's a scheme that didn't see full-time use in the Spring Cup Series in 2014. Uh, my pick is actually Brian Scott's number 33 Shore Lodge Chevrolet SS. And this was this was a hard choice for me. I mean, this took me about an hour to decide. I'm not going to lie. This took me an hour to decide what I wanted to do because there are so many great paint schemes from 2014. Yes. I, was, I was so close. I almost chose Matt Kenseth's Home Depot car because I loved that one way more than Dollar General Machine machine that home depot car was so good looking i think obviously the the yellow bumper of the dollar general really ruined it but outside of that it was one of the best looking paint schemes um casey kane had some beautiful paint mm -hmm. schemes as well mm -hmm. uh he, i mean me being a casey kane fan that was beautiful kyle bush had some really good paint schemes in 2014 um jeff gordon had great paint schemes back then uh geez i'm thinking about I'm trying to think of all the other ones off the top of my head. Even your your pick was a really good one too. He had some really astounding schemes as well. Uh, but I had to pick this one because I like the fact that it's it's a scheme that didn't see a lot of 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 airtime, but we saw it plenty of times in the Nationwide Series. I prefer the cup look to it personally. I think it looks better. I like the number thirty three. That's the kind of that's the number that I always drive with uh, when I sim race is number thirty three. So of course I picked it. Um, but I was just a huge fan of this, this scheme. I was a big fan of it in the nationwide series. I love the flat black, the white, and then the kind of silvery gray that shore lodge, those shore lodge cars had. I mean, mm -hmm. they looked beautiful. I mean, Brian Scott ran another one in 2016 at Bristol when he was racing for Richard Petty Motorsports that I loved almost more than this one because it had the petty, it had this petty blue on it, but it also had the shore lodge black. And yeah. it was this great combination, but I, but I really like this one. So let's talk about, I'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, but it was an instant favorite for me. Uh, so Scott ran for Richard Childress racing in the cup series. Now this card normally ran under the circle sport Hillman racing banner in 2014. Um, but when Brian Scott was in it, it was ran, it was, uh, entered by Richard Childress. Um, and so, you know, he didn't do that great. Uh, he only made six starts in this specific scheme he ran the daytona 500 in a different scheme it was the orange scheme uh not shore lodge it was whitetail and i think i don't know who his family or his dad i don't know if they own both casinos up in idaho but um i'm not i'm not sure if if they're the different separate casinos or if they're the same casino just one's a resort and what's that i have no idea i should look at i should have looked into it before the, the i did this but um but yeah so scott really didn't do that that great because well you i won't talk about brian scott's career but i think most of us who followed it know that it, it was hit or miss for the most part so 
he made uh, five starts in this scheme, started Daytona 500, uh, and that was actually his best his best finish was in the Daytona 500. I think he finished 25th or something there, and every other finish, I don't even think he cracked top 35. So he sat on the pole at Talladega in the spring, but he ended up finishing 42nd. So didn't really do much, even though that car was out front for a brief period of time, which was very beautiful. Um, Josh, I want to hear all about yours because uh, it comes actually from the same kind of stable, the Richard yeah. Childress Racing. Yeah, I think it's actually maybe the first time we've ch- uh, picked paint schemes from the same organization, too. I think so, too. Yeah. I, I, um, I was so close. I could have gone either way on so many of them. Yeah, there's a lot of good, like you said, there's a lot of good ones there. And I tried to go with one. I, I, I went through J-Ski and I went through, I don't know how many mm-hmm. numbers I clicked on, just trying to find one that really caught my eye. And then this one, like, I got to go with this one. Austin Dillon's number three, Cheerios Chevrolet. It was Dillon's rookie season and the cup series and whether it was intentional or not, this paint scheme along with his Dow chemical paint scheme had some black number three nods. Mm-hmm. And I didn't don't know if that was intentional, but both those schemes kind of gave me intimidator, you know, chills. And uh, the scheme was a yellow base, the Cheerios yellow base to it. The hood and the roof uh, had black racing stripes. And then in the middle of the door on each side, um, it was black where the number three was. And it was kind of at, a, at, a, at an angle as the, uh, as a number three is the original Children's number three. Um, it was accented by yellow lines, but it was still a white number three against a black background. And that just gave me the intimidator kind of feel and the, uh, you know, just, just for shout out purposes, the Dow chemical car, the roof was black and the, and the three, uh, was white on top there so again you kind of had that feelings um he finished he raced in the, this car six times that year at las vegas auto club the coca-cola 600 kentucky new hampshire two and phoenix two the best qualifying effort was fourth at las vegas and his best finish was at 11th uh, both at auto club and new hampshire but interesting he finished 16th in the car three times at las vegas in the coco 600 in kentucky um, so it wasn't necessarily the best scheme, but I mean, you know what, for a rookie, a, two 11s and three sixteenths, that's not bad. So, no. um, and I, I just, I simply picked it for the, for the intimidator black number three knots. That's, that's you want to exactly know what I love, which I mean, I love that scheme. I actually have a die cast of it, but my favorite Austin Dillon scheme from that is the American ethanol one. That is a good one. That is a good that's, one too. I think that's my personal favorite paint scheme that he's ever run. Because it's the American green and black. Always good. Oh my gosh! It's the, I mean I run with I I run with those all the time. Whenever like I will download DLC for NASCAR Heat specifically to get the American ethanol schemes oh, there you for go. because they're that good. I mean the one especially for 2014 was black and green. And like you said, you like the black the 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 white three on the black background. This one had it as well, but it also had an Earnhardt stripe on it too. And yeah. that is. That I thought was the coolest part about it, because I mean, obviously, you you if you look at it, it's they m- removed the middle line of the E, so that I think Teresa wouldn't sue him or something. I don't know, but it's so similar. It like it's like yeah. begging to be a DEI car, basically. It's begging, and it probably would have been uh, had Dale not passed away. It probably would have been a DEI car. You probably would have started to see some number threes with the the Earnhardt E. I've always theorized that, that like Dale would have driven for his own team at some point uh, and ran the number three with a, an Earnhardt E stripe on it, which would have been just mm, beautiful. Oh, I've yeah. long theorized that. 
I've like there's a lot of theories about you know some people like to theorize what would have what would have happened, you know like I've always theorized that Adam Petty's career, uh, in the sense this is not this sounds awful but like I've always theorized you know like looking statistically at Adam Petty's Bush series career, I know we think about him like because he's passed away and we like to think about him in a positive light, but truth be told he was not a very good Bush driver. He was really not. He was really mediocre. I mean, he could qualify really well. He could qualify really well. But he could just he just could not finish races. He could not pull it together. And, you know, and that was, I, I don't know, maybe he would have gotten better at that. But, you know, I think he would have just, he would have been much like his dad. I don't think he, that he would have been like Richard Petty. I think he would have been more like Kyle. Uh, more like, like his dad. It's tough to live up to that Petty name, though. So Well, yeah, it is. But, you know, I don't think he was a bad driver. But I definitely think Kyle trying to move him up to Winston Cup at the time in 2001 was way too much of an ask for him. He needed more time in the Bush Series. He needed to win a race in the Bush Series, I think, to be seen as a legitimate Cup contender. And he just, unfortunately, he never did that before he was taken from us. He probably could have. He probably would have. But, you know, those are things I like to hypothesize. I don't know if anybody else has ever sat back and hypothesized about what a driver would have done had they lived. I believe Dan Weldon would have won at least two more 500s with Andretti. Um, you know, I think Kenny Irwin probably would have uh, probably would have won at least one or two races with Chip Ganassi. Um, you know, things like that. Those are those are stuff. That, I mean, I mean, if you look at how good Sterling Marlin was in 2001, and just say that, and and look at what Irwin could have probably done with that Chip Ganassi money. Instead of just the Felix Sabatis, because let's be honest, when, when, before Ganassi bought that stake, I mean Sabco was just kind of mid pack at best. I mean, I mean Sterling Marlin came alive in two thousand one and two thousand two. I think, and Jimmy Spencer did too. I think primarily because of Ganassi's influence. I think if Ganassi would have come in and influenced that, I think Kenny Irwin would have been a lot more successful than than what he ended up being. So. I don't know. Those are fun things to talk about, but we got to move on. So, Josh, I want to let's go on to the next segment here. Uh, the, yeah, we got uh, this week's winners. Hey, you guys about? Hey, guys about this week's winners. Uh, we got a little quite a list here actually compared to what we've had. Uh, we're going to talk about a few on the top takeaways. But on Wednesday night, I racing from the virtual dirt track at Charlotte, the World of Outlaws NOS Energy Sprint Car Series event was won by Christopher Bell. World of Outlaws Morton's Buildings Late Models race was won by Trent Ivy. And then fast forward to Saturday, um, we had two races there. The IndyCar iRacing Challenge at the Virtual Rubber Motorsports Park was won by Scott McLaughlin, which was very cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday Night Thunder at the Virtual Bristol Motor Speedway was won by Logan Seavey. He's a dirt racer and ARCA driver. We've we'll probably see him a couple more times this year in uh, Venturini car, um, should the schedule allow. Um the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series for the virtual Bristol Motor Speedway was owned by William Byron. And then on Monday night, so uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night, and on month, yes, uh, so uh, yesterday, they, they raced at Rockingham for the NBC Esports Short Track iRacing Challenge, raced two races. William Byron won both of them, including a bump and run on the race two to beat Parker Klegerman. And then just tonight, at Luke Soil Raceway in Indianapolis, race number one, Kyle Larson won that event. And then race number two was won by Christopher Bell. So top takeaways here. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't you said you didn't get a chance to watch the Wednesday night uh, iRacing. I thought it was really cool. It was really neat to see the 
World of Outlaws on a national stage. Um, they, I think that series just, especially the sprint sprint cars, definitely deserve some more time in real physical racing to be on national TV. And it was cool to hear Johnny Gibson calling calling those races um, on, on the national side with Jeff Gordon, Clint Boyer uh, chiming in, and Adam Alexander was sort of playing host. Um, then onto the so onto the IndyCar one. Um, that was a 45 lap event that had, had to pit once, you know, for fuel was the fuel run on that one. They had two fast repairs competition caution though. in this race was on lap 15 because it's the driver said, Hey, let's, let's stack it. You know, let's, let's get stacked up one time. Um, and, uh, it was picked up by NBC and in, in broadcast on NBC. So that was really cool. Sage Karen got the pole, uh, Will Powers alongside him. Really no surprises there. Two guys who did really well at Watkins Glen and they continue to do well. And at Barber, uh, Chase Karam do- dominated, leading the first 24 laps before pitting, and then he got had a number of run-ins, and then he was just out afterwards. Um, was a little aggressive driving, just a little bit. Uh, Robert Wickens makes his triumphant racing return, although it was a simulator race. It was very cool to see him racing once again and and hearing, you know, lead. If you say Robbie Wickens, you know, is doing insert you know insert what he was doing passing this guy driving down in the corner it was really cool to hear his name again jimmy johnson qualified uh 22nd finishes 12th and on the lead lap too so that was good for him oh and i failed to mention wickens did start last because he spun on uh his first qualifying lap and therefore his second qualifying lap was just toast after that but he finished eight so good for him uh drivers with open mics and willpower gets muted he gets muted (laughs) i can't i can't i don't think i can say i don't think uh, the FCC allows us to say what he what he said, but it wasn't necessarily the kindest word in the world. Um, not something we say here in America very often. So maybe I can let you guys piece that together. Um, but he's a little oh, mouthy. Not, not said in America. I think I have an idea. Yeah, yeah. He was a little mouthy, but it was it was it was, it was interesting. Then Scott McLaughlin loses strategy. Uh, some really good strategy actually. Kind of a modified there in the middle. He pits before the competition caution, inherits the lead when others pit after. And then he gets out to a big enough lead where when he pits, he comes out second. But he would have been out first, but Scott Speed tried to stretch the fuel, couldn't. Uh, he passes uh, Scott Speed with six to go and holds him off, uh, holds willpower off of the win. I enjoyed this race immensely. Even though we only had one caution, there was action going around all track long. Disclosure, I've been a willpower fan for many years, but I was cheering on Scott McLaughlin to win that race because I thought this is so, so, so cool. And I can't wait to see him in an actual Indy car. Hey, Scott McLaughlin in an, in an Indy car is going to be really, really interesting. I think whenever he gets that actual opportunity, we're going to have a lot of fun watching him uh, go out there and, and and make some waves in, in in whatever he does. Because I mean, so far, so far, so good, right? For him going out mm-hmm. there in, in, in an Indy car in the I race, I mean, it's nothing like the real thing, but it's close. So I think. You know, we'll see how he does and maybe how Jimmy Johnson ends up doing in, in real life. Uh, I enjoyed what I saw of the race. You know, again, I'm all over the place, sleeping whenever I please. I've seen most of the race, though. Um, and I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it, it's good stuff. It's great stuff where they're doing really fun things on in iRacing. And, um, you know, I... I really like the new IndyCar. I like the way it goes. I, I just keeps making... Every time I watch one of these things, it's like, why have I never 
pulled the trigger and just gotten an iRacing subscription? Why have I been so cheap? I will pay for like any other subscription. I pay RuneScape for crying out loud, RuneScape membership. Why don't I just pay for iRacing too? I feel like I I I really I really should consider it. Josh, I want to hear more about the 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 iRacing Bristol race though, because that's that was yeah. also a good one. This was a it was a good race. I think it was overall a good race. Not a great race. It was a good race. Okay. You had 32 cars participate. Now, they had two 50-lap heat races. So, you qual- they qualified inside the uh, – like the duels at Daytona. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the odd qualifying positions race in heat one, evens in race two. You decide the running order from there. Um, no cautions. Absolutely no cautions. There could have been a 15-car pile up behind the leader. Uh, on the start, but they're not going to throw a caution. Trying to get things going, keep things moving, keep things moving along. Um, William Byron and then won the first one because he won the pole. He uh, and then John Harnimacek won the second race. Um, it was probably what we all feared and expected. A lot of crashing. Um, coincidentally, uh, Racing Reference didn't have the caution like lap rundown, like caution, caution, caution. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny, but my guess is like 75 of the 150 laps of the main feature were run under caution. Uh, maybe the most interesting point here, and, and Rob, um, I'm going to hold my thoughts and opinions because we have a question on this later. I ask you to do the same. Um, but let's talk about the Bubba Wallace situation here. Okay, So Bubba Wallace quits. Definitely talk about this. Yeah, Bubba Wallace quits the race. All right, on lap 11, I... Uh, Boyer cleared himself off the exit of turn four. It's yeah. Wallace. He kind of blames Wallace for the incident. Uh, I think so. Go down into turn two. Boyer wrecks him. He, he he wrecks Bubba Wallace in the exit of turn two. Um, and it just the video, the replay, kind of is is, is sort of um damning for Boyer on in that sense. Um, Bubba is. Extremely upset, very upset. I watched the video feed from uh, uh, a couple times. He reset his car um, to pit road and then quit right there. Uh, Boyer said on Fox Sports broadcast because he was a, in the studio in their sim rig. He said he got bubbled. Yeah. No, sure. When uh, was actually uh, you know he kind of run up in the bubble on both sides, so uh, both times. Um, Bubba said uh, right before he quit. That's why I don't take this expletive seriously. Peace out. Uh, Blue Emu, who was sponsoring Bubba in that race and potentially in real races, sent two tweets following uh, Bubba's tweets. The first was uh, GTK, good to know. For those of you who don't know text lingo, good to know. I never heard that until yesterday. Right. Um, Good to know where you stand. Bye-bye, Bubba. We're interested in drivers, not quitters. Bubba re- uh, requotes his own tweet and says, I mean, hashtag rage quit all in caps, rage quit uh, all in caps. And then he had two laughing emojis with tears, which was then responded by a gif of Donald Trump saying, you're fired. Okay. So that was the Blue Emu situation, which we'll talk about here again in a little bit. And Number let's not forget this too. Let's not forget this too. Boyer purposely wrecked and admitted he would wreck Bobby Labonte in the heat race. We'll talk about a little bit of that later, both these situations later. Um, but uh, Jimmy Johnson learned the hard way he needed a real spotter, uh, or, or at least a real spotter is beneficial because the simulator cleared him twice and he wrecked twice. Now, it's also important to know, 
I don't know how, Rob, you may be able to answer this a little more, but I know like when it comes to, you know, bandwidth, you know, it might look like it's clear, but you're actually not, and you're going to hit, you know, in real life, you'd be clear by that, but you wouldn't be clear with bandwidth and the way the computer system works. Yeah, that's one of those things about online racing that I don't think we have down perfectly yet uh, is because there's some, you know, there's that thing that's called lag, you know, and lag happens no matter what kind of game you're playing if you're playing it online. Uh, a lot of things can happen, especially, you know, there are situations where depending on how good your internet connection is, if you have a, a decent internet connection, um, you're probably going to experience some kind of lag. And the thing about lag when you're racing on an online race uh, is it can really mess you up. I mean, you will think the car is going to do one thing and then it might lag out and the car is doing something completely different and you might not have any time to even react. Uh, that's a real thing. That's something that genuinely happens all the time. Um, you know, you can go into a corner and you can think, oh, I didn't touch this guy, right? If there's a tiny bit of lag it, on the guy in front of you and he lags a little bit, next thing you know, the car reappears after the lag and it could be right on your front bumper, right inside your front bumper, whatever. And then the car and we saw some out. of that over the broadcast. Car glitches out, and then next thing you know, you're in the wall. And that's a legitimate thing that you have to be careful about. You have to when you're when you're racing it online, you have to keep in mind of those factors. Like it's 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 as close to the real thing as you're going to get. But there's so many other factors in there that you have to keep in mind and have to remember. Uh, and that's one of them is remembering lag. I mean, I can remember several times. We we there was periods of time where I was in online leagues and. We could we would be racing in Daytona, Talladega, whatever. Bump drafting was just too dangerous. I mean, because if you bump draft in a car that was lagging, it could take out the whole field. I mean, you could just barely touch him. You know, you're not even touching him, or he could be. Uh, he'll he'll um you know drag his brake a little bit. You'll get right up to the back bumper, and you might touch him at the same exact speed he's going. But if that car, if your car or his car lags just a little bit right before that happens. You guys get stuck together quite uh, quite literally in the game, and it can take out the whole rest of the field. You have to be careful about that. You have to time your moves and make sure any contact that you make with another car, whether it be on purpose or whether it be, you know, on accident or whether it be uh, benign, benign contact, what have you, you have to be careful. You actually have to be careful. You have to make sure. You have to watch that car in front of you and see, is this car lagging? Is it is it flickering? Is it moving around? You know, you have to be careful because if you see that thing mo start to move around, you have to start thinking, okay, I've got to find another way to get around this guy. If I have to go on the outside, I have to pass him on the outside, then I have to pass him on the outside because you don't want to end up getting wrecked. You don't want to put yourself in a position where his car could lag and then wreck you. So you have to be really careful about that. And those are some things that I think a lot of these drivers who don't do this very often are going to have to learn quicker uh, over time. I think at some point they will learn that because, you know, it's not a very difficult thing to learn, but it will take some time and some experience just learning and driving it. Because I can tell you again, for the first time I did it, it took me a long time to remember, I can't bump draft this guy. I can't just, I can't just tap this guy in the rear going into the turn to get him a little bit loose because then he could wreck and I was not intending to wreck him. You know, you just, you just wanted to bump him out of the way. You wanted to, to, to rub him, rattle his cage a little bit. You have to be careful. You just have to be careful doing these things. And I think a lot of those drivers are going to have to keep keep that in mind going forward. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, it's very true. We saw, you see in a broadcast, cars glitching out. And 
And again, I think what you're saying definitely, you know, is a tribute to Jimmy Johnson's struggles. Um, some guys just don't learn either. Daniel Suarez and Kyle Larson no, both got rejected Suarez from the race for purposely wrecking nothing. each other, which um, I won't like. Uh, well, I'll, I'll save my stuff because that will be discussed later too. Um, eventually, a message came down from iRacing Control. Hey, we're going to single file restarts, and it's halfway through this race because they had eight <laughs> cautions already. Um, William Byron, dominant car. Uh, he led a lot of laps. A lot of them were under caution granted, but he did have, I think, the best – line the best way of driving bristol this virtual bristol and he wins the race he finally breaks through in this in this i-racing world in nascar and then hey guess what he also did it at rockingham folks let's 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 talk about rockingham mm-hmm. now it was a fun it was the six cars um in the in these races you had parker Klegerman, kyle bush austin dillon tyler reddick bubba wallace and then william byron of course he swept both races like i said he went out qualified first and dominated the first race, didn't lead a single lap of the second race until the checkered flag, and he was right on Parker Kligerman's bumper for lap and laps and laps, and then he kind of, with the encouragement, it sounded like of other drivers, bump him, bump him, and he bumped him out of the way. Um, he had RCR guys really didn't play very nice. It was, it was kind of ugh, to see that, but that's okay. It's an, it's an iRacing race. They weren't mad at each other. That was good. Um, but Byron and Kligerman were definitely the class of the field. And here's kind of what, I don't know, maybe I'm overreacting. But but in this format, so you have 10 guys, you have six races, and 10 guys will race in the championship race at Martinsville. If you win one of these races, you are automatically in. So at most, you'll have six drivers get in by wins, but now five because William Byron won two. So now you got provisionals. So from this race, Steve Letarte, who held the provisionals, and he decides these provisionals. The, I think it's called the Peacock Provisional. It's all his decision. He gives the the provisional win to Kyle Busch because he was most consistent for finishing third in both heats. Parker Kligerman finished second in both heats and actually led more laps than Kyle Busch. Explain to me how Kyle Busch is more, was more consistent. I'm sorry. But then he goes and reiterates it on tonight's broadcast for the Lucas Oil Raceway races and um i'm like what the heck and i think this is really stress uh, i or i'm going to stress this where kyle bush a very talented race car driver can win in anything he races in i really truly believe that and i think if you give him time he'll be one of the best i racers out there but right now he's i mean he's pretty good but he's not parker Kligerman is one of the best i racers out there what have we seen mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who he's racing against he's running up front okay he is running up front. I would have given that Peacock provisional to Clip Park Flickham because he clearly deserved it. I hope with one of the last uh, five positions, so you'll have two race winners or one race winner, so you'll have at most four of these provisionals to hand out, that he gets one of them because he's going to make that race at Martinsville interesting. A little disappointed that um, he didn't, or Steve Letard did not at least give him one uh, and Kyle Busch both one. So that kind of irked me off. Um, going to the IRP races, Kyle Busch led flag to flag on on the first heat. Christopher Bell led flag to flag in the second one. Little, little interesting there in the second race. You start running. The, Denny Hamlin started running the wall, like running the wall to turn the car and go faster. I didn't know. I mean, I don't. I didn't necessarily like that. 
but it put on a show for the fans and that's what this is all about. So I'm like, okay, but it kind of took away that little realism aspect for me. You're not going to take your actual Toyota Camry and run the wall at any track mm-hmm. to gain speed. It's just not going to happen. So, uh, oh, well, uh, so Larson and, and, and Hamlin won those two races and Latart gives a provisional to Denny Hamlin. I wasn't so upset with this one because Hamlin did run well, uh, in both. And yeah, and he's actually pretty good at iRacing too. You know, it wasn't like he was giving this out to a guy who just started iRacing, you know, Jimmy Johnson two weeks ago. Right. So that was that, uh, Rob, what have you quickly, what are your thoughts on the, um, the NBC's iRacing challenge here. I think it's interesting. Um, I, I really, to be honest with you, I didn't pay much attention to it until tonight when you told me about it. And I was like, okay, I'll go ahead and watch it. And I'll take a look at it. I mean, I, it, it's pretty interesting. I think, uh, the whole, you know, only having a few cars in the, in the race is kind of off putting. I'd like to see a little bit, a few more drive cars in the race, but I understand why they do it. Um, you know, you want to just get, it's supposed to be just a quick thing, quick mm-hmm. little thing. So I get it. Um, as for that, I like, I like the tracks that they're going for. I mean, Rockingham, like you can't really call it a short track cause it's more than a mile. I think anything more than a mile is, 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 is not a short track. It's a speedway. Um, short tracks are less than a mile. And I think that should just be the standard. You know, if, if your track is less than a mile, then it's a short track. If it's more than a mile, it's a speedway. I mean, cause depending on how much speed you get, Rockingham though is a very interesting track. It's really, really, really tough to drive, especially in these new cars. Um, so that's, that's it, especially in, in gen six cars, especially since it makes so much more downforce than the previous cars that came here. Um, and Rockingham already is a track that is so abrasive on tires. I mean, you can run, you'll, I've run 16 laps at Rockingham and completely destroyed my tires before 16 laps and just called they, 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 they were doing useless on Monday night. Yeah. I mean, it's just Rockingham is such a tough, tough track to race at. Uh, and it, it's not a t- actually I shouldn't say it. it's not a tough track to drive. It's easy to drive. It's it's pretty easy to drive. Uh, depending on how well your car is, is is handling, you can actually just let off. You don't even have to use any brake. You can let the car roll through turns three and four, and you can be on the high side or the low side. It doesn't matter. Both grooves will work for you. Turn one, turns one and two though, you want to be on the inside. You don't want to be on the up up on the outside because then you're just gonna go back. I think it's interesting to see what, what I think the IRP ex- experiences are interesting because I think it's interesting to see what a cup car does at IRP. Um, cause you, it's, that's something you've never seen before. I mean, we've seen, uh, Arca go there and Arca kind of races similar to the cup cars. It's the gen six, but it's a composite body. It's different. Uh, and they handle different than the cup cars. Cup cars have more downforce than the Arca cars do. Um, so it's really interesting. It's just interesting to see what these guys, what these cars do and what these drivers do on these different kinds of racetracks. So, you know, that's my feeling about it. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't maybe watch the races the same way other people do. Cause when I watch some racing, I think about it as I watch it from a different perspective. Cause I understand I, I've raced the differences before I've understood the differences before. And, um, I'm just, uh, I'm curious about that. So that's, I like it. I like it though. I just think it's, uh, something that I wish that, uh, Maybe I, I was more invested in than I am right now for some reason. I'm not as invested in it, and I probably should be. Um, but I think we should move on to our outstanding performance because you and I both have some interesting ones. Yes. So, Rob, why don't you go ahead and share yours? Uh, I think we both have really, like you said, both really good picks this week. Yeah, we both chose uh, IndyCar drivers and IndyCar s- situations. So, obviously, for me, Scott McLaughlin gets it for me. I mean, for a guy who's really never even run an IndyCar race, uh, before but practiced one, tested one, 
and now is doing these iRacing events to come out in your second IndyCar iRacing event against the best of the best. I mean, Scott Dixon was in this race. Scott freaking Dixon was in this race. I mean, the Iceman cometh is in this race. If you hold off, if you beat, I mean, the fact of the matter is Scott McLaughlin beat the drivers that he should not have beat, drivers that have so much more experience on him in, in these types of cars. Um, I'm not talking about Jimmy Johnson, I'm not talking about Scott Speed, I'm talking about drivers that genuinely have experience in these cars. For him to go out there and just win it, it to me, that's impressive, and that's that gets my outstanding performance, because I feel like, you know, any of those guys who raced in any car, like Sage Karam, Sage Karam, you go watch him at Watkins Glen, he puts on a clinic, and you're thinking, oh, okay, that sounds about, makes about sense, and then you watch Scott McLaughlin in that, and you're like, was he just watching Sage Karam the whole time and just learning from him. He's just watching oh, these guys. Yeah. I feel like he's just a sponge out there, and it's great to watch. So I give it to Scott McLaughlin. Josh, I think uh, the guy you picked, though, is just as deserving. Robert Wickens, man. I, 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 I knew you picked first, and I knew you were either going to pick Scott or Robert. I knew it. I had a gut feeling. I'm like, well, I'm going to pick the opposite guy he goes with. Well, Wickens and- said in the beginning, like before the race, he was like, I'm not prepared at all for this. Yeah, he and got that, a sim. He got a yeah. sim rig like 48 hours before at most, when he was just practicing and practicing mm-hmm. and practicing. And for him, he would think he's. I think NBC shared, and I think he shared later too that he was like tracking to qualify like at sixth, seventh, or eighth before he spun. Mm-hmm. So he has to qualify. He, he has to start 29th. Um, but he slowly and methodically moved his way forward. And again, a guy really hasn't, he hasn't done this. He hasn't raced since that horrific crash at Pocono. Um, and he was braking with a, with like a rally car lever. Yeah. And he's steering with one, with one hand while doing it. Um, I mean, I thought when he said hand controls, the brake was also going to be on the steering wheel too. And the gas, the gas and brake were both going to be on the steering wheel, but no, he had to do that, which was, even more makes this more impressive, and he goes out there and finishes eighth. Um, fantastic job! So, well, with that said, let's move on to the um, upshift downshift segment. Our favorite. We got five questions lined up here for you today. Um, upshift: Do you agree with the statement? Question: Hypothetical. Downshift: If you don't. Neutral: If you're like, oh, man, I can't decide, or like, I don't care. So, with the first one here. IndyCar drivers selected the virtual Michigan International Speedway as their driver's choice track. Do you upshift or downshift? Oh, I upshift, and I'm going to watch this. I am going to watch, because, you know, I got to be honest. IndyCars at Michigan, right here, that's, that's, that's my favorites. I mean, I went, the last three races that I, the IRL ran at Michigan, I was there. I saw the last three, 2005, 2006, 2007. Some of the best racing I've ever seen in my life, hands down. And I've been, I've been to, um, you know, I've been to about what thirteen Indy five hundreds now, and I still think that the racing at Michigan in the IRL was the best stuff I've ever seen. And don't get me wrong, I've seen some fantastic Indy five hundreds. I saw a twenty thirteen live in person in the stands, and that was probably the one, the best Indy five hundred I've ever seen, hands down. But this Michigan. Michigan is a track that's made for IndyCar. It's a track that IndyCar should be going to, making an effort to going to. Because look, if you can't go to Las Vegas, if you can't go to Auto Club, if you can't go to California, you should be going to Michigan. They should be going to Michigan. They should be making every attempt to get these cars back at Michigan. I understand they love Detroit. I understand all that stuff. But dude, if Roger Penske comes out in the next couple of days and says, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to add another race at Michigan. 
I'll crap my pants with happiness. I mean, it is it has gotta happen. It's gotta happen. It would be so so seeing this that they're gonna go to the virtual Michigan International Speedway, I hope I hope it and I know it's 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 kinda like hoping in vain because it probably won't happen, but I hope that it it encourages the drivers and and and, and the powers that be to take a look at Michigan and, and make sure IndyCar goes back there because that is a track that IndyCar should be at no matter what. Um, it's one. It's it's. I, I I think about tracks that IndyCar needs to go to, and there's three of them. I think I think Indianapolis, Long Beach, and Michigan. Those are the three tracks that IndyCar races have to take place on. No matter what, like there has to be every every attempt possible to make sure that those cars race on that. And if we can't go to Long Beach this year. If we're not doing, if we can't go to Long Beach, then we should be going to Michigan or something. I know it's not going to happen in real life, but to have it happen in the virtual race, I love it. Hard upshift on me. Well, I mean, I upshift too. I like that it's different. You know, it's uh, they didn't choose a track that they currently race at, or they're, I don't want to say they're comfortable at necessarily, but there's only a few guys in the field who have raced, who are who currently racing the IndyCar series, who have raced. There, so I think that really makes it even more special. So I upshift too. Scott Dixon's uh, one of them, I think. Tony Kanaan uh, won the last one. Marco Andretti was second in the. Okay, Marco. Race. If Marco's so, in it, then yeah, Marco would be in it. Uh, Ryan Hunter Ray, and I'm trying to remember who I mentioned in the what's in the windshield segment here. There's another driver. Too. Um, did Hunter Ray? Maybe he, maybe Ed Carpenter. With... Maybe Ed Carpenter's in that race. It, yeah, I think he might have been. He might have been. I know he was. Race. Uh, but but I don't know if Hunter Ray is I don't Hunter how I'd have to look it up because I don't know who was driving the seventeen for Ray Holland. It might have been Hunter Ray. Then so yeah, you might be right. I think Hunter Ray was definitely in that race. I could just look it up right now. It's right in front of me. Uh, <laughs> Michigan four hundred. There we go. Two thousand seven. Um, oh, these are NASCAR Firestone Indy four hundred. Here we go. Yeah, okay. Tony Kanon, Marco Andretti, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray. So he was in the seventeen. That's what I thought. Scott Dixon, um, Ed Carpenter, he was with their in their vision racing. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. Now, not a whole lot of names have raced there, or at least recently, anyways. So it's going to be a really interesting race to me. It, just for that reason right there, we have very little experience, at least in real life, there. So that, take that at face value, what you think about it. So, so I explained the situation earlier. Next question. I explained the situ- situation earlier. Do you upshift or downshift Bubba Wallace rage quitting the E NASCAR race? at bristol dude this one is so hard to for me because it's like oh, on the one hand i totally get it i mean if i'm bubba in that situation i just get dumped and you know I, I i don't think in bubba's mind i don't think he thought he did anything wrong and i don't really think he did anything wrong i think boyer just assumed he tried to wreck him you know if i'm him and i'm going out there probably i don't i get it i would probably be like yeah no i'm done if guys are just gonna wreck me i don't even know why i'm doing this but he also has to keep in mind, and I, don't, I think this, he probably just, I don't know if he forgot about this or just wasn't at the front of his mind. Dude, if a sponsor comes on to sponsor you, it doesn't matter if it's for a virtual race or a real race. If a sponsor comes on, you have to make them happy. Like, you have to make them happy. If you make them mad, you're going to face the consequences. I mean, think about Kyle Bush in 2011. M&Ms did not want to sponsor him after he wrecked Hornaday at Texas. Like, m was like, no, to heck with you. I'm done. We're done. We're done with this. If it wasn't for Joe Gibbs basically begging them to stay, I don't think that they would have stayed. I think they would have just packed up their stuff and left. This is a, but, but Blue Emu is a smaller company. They had a one, 
maybe like a one or two race deal with them and it was for a virtual race if if they're not going to get their what what they expected out of their investment then why should they even bother and i think they expected bubba to complete the whole race or at least try to and when he just rage quits like that i think they probably thought okay well this guy doesn't want to to race so we're not going to sponsor him yeah i see both sides i think I wish it wasn't as wild and crazy as it was where a guy rage quitting in an I race costs him his real life sponsor. But that's the situation that we're in. No. So I I don't know. I can't I could put it into neutral because I see both sides, but I, you know, if I'm Bubba, I, I don't know if I do anything else. If guys are just gonna wreck me and then blame me for something I didn't do, do I really wanna be out here with these guys? No, I kinda wanna get into another jump into another server and race with other people, you know what I mean? That's yeah. that's my initial thought. Well, s- putting aside the yeah, Boyer definitely wrecked you, and and you know admitted to wrecking Labonte earlier too. You know, putting that aside, you know, it all comes down to the sponsor. Like the sponsor was on the car. This wasn't like, yeah, you U.S. Air Force. Yeah, sure, you can use our logos and stuff. We don't care, and they're not paying anything extra. This is a sponsor who's potentially paying something extra and potentially sponsoring you. In real life, when you return to the racetrack, for that, I have to downshift. You know right away, somebody, he probably got multiple calls. I wouldn't even have texted him. I would have called him and said, look, Bubba, this is not good. All right? And this is going to follow him, sadly. This is going to follow him. People are going to remember this. We've said on the show before, Bubba needs to go somewhere else in 21 to be competitive and win races. Well, this is going to be like question three. You know, right. on, on the interview sheet, explain yourself at Bristol at virtual Bristol Marsh Speedway when you rage quit. This is going to follow him, unfortunately, um, and it's on it's on social media multiple ways. It sucks that Boyer dumped you, and Boyer was explicit to you. I mean, he was he was a total. I can't say the word on here, but he, he and you shouldn't have done it. Heard? Sure, I, I, that's too light <laughs> in my opinion, though. But um, it was not right of him to rage quit. Even if that was his last fast repair, because he may have already used one, um, gotta finish the race. You gotta go as long far as you can. Um, side note: If you just, you are gonna do this, blame the internet. Don't broadcast it out loud. But that's just Bubba's personality too. I can't fault him for that being his personality. But I gotta say, look, eh, this is not a good look. So downshifting for me. Next question: We've had a lot of questions related to Indianapolis Motor Speedway in recent weeks, but they're making the news basically each week. Um, for better or worse, them in the IndyCar series. So we have another. Uh, Robbie shared it earlier. Do you upshift or downshift the Indianapolis Motor Speedway having three IndyCar race weekends in 2020? Yeah, uh, I think if you're IMS right now, this is the strangest year they'll ever have. I mean, Penske has essentially inherited uh, a racetrack in one of the strangest years that you could inherit a racetrack for your first year. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the crowd is going to be like. On August 23rd. I don't know if... First of all, we don't know if it'll happen. Because we don't know what this coronavirus is going to do. Some people are saying that it's going to come back. Some people are saying that once it goes away, it might make another comeback. Who knows? I think if I'm IMS, this is probably the best route to go. Because you need to make sure that there's a way for you guys to pay your bills at the end of the day. And if you can't guarantee a sellout crowd on August 23rd. Because it's August 23rd and it's not you know, May 30th or whatever it was supposed to be this year. Um, 
that's what you have to do. You have to come up with something else to gain more money. And and I think this is not only is this a good idea to help boost the attendance, hopefully of the eight hour event, but I think this is just a great race to great idea for everybody to just kind of be like, okay, thank God this is all over. All right, we got through it. You know, IndyCar, we did it. We're running into October, which first of all, thank goodness they're running into October. Mm-hmm. I am so glad to see that. That was the first thing that I saw. I saw October so, 3rd, I'm so happy. Well, right. If we could start the season in January and then have more time in between each race and then do the race, finish the race in October, that would be nice. Finish the season in October, that would be nice. Like early October. I'm not t- like Tom talking October 3rd or something. Um, like my birthday, Get, make my birthday weekend, basically the, un, the, the, the finale for the IndyCar series. And I think, you know, that'll do well for them. I think that, but I upshift because I think IMS needs to do this. I mean, they, they've, they're, you don't know what the rev, what kind of revenue you're going to make, or if you're going to make any revenue at all this season. So you have to do something to kind of buffer and, and make sure that you are able to pay your workers, pay your, uh, I mean, you got to pay the yellow shirts. You got to find some way to pay the yellow shirts. If you can't pay the yellow shirts, what are you going to do? So you got to get people out butts and seats to go, go watch this race. So I think it's a good idea. I think it's, uh, it's, it's probably the right way to go. And we'll see if it even catches on, if it's a one year thing or if it's something that ends up actually coming back. I don't know. I, they've been tossing around the idea of finishing the season at IMS for the longest time. I would prefer to see them again, just finish the season at California. That's just me. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. But, hey, I'll take what I can get. I agree with everything you said. I upshift it, too. But I I take a different role here. It adds another race to the calendar. And it's also in basically a lot of these teams' backyards. Okay? It's 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 the Charlotte Motor Speedway for, for, for IndyCar, for our NASCAR listeners, who I'm sure so many of you already know. So a lot of teams are based there around the Indianapolis area. So, short drive to get to the track, easy, you know, easy to roll in and roll out. Um, and it, like I said, adds another race. I agree with everything you said. I'm just trying to add a little more <laughs> stuff to it here um, and not repeat. So, I like that we're getting another race. I like the double headers, of course, too, adding races um, to what is a, you know, it's going to be a shortened season at the end of the day. Um, so, the last, the next one here, I should say, with IndyCar now being delayed until June, sadly. Do you upshift or downshift the idea that IndyCar uh, iRacing Challenge should be extended into late May? Uh, and bonus, what tracks would you like to see them race on? Uh, so I'm going to keep this, go ahead and sh- short and sweet. Uh, yes. And tracks, uh, every oval over a mile and a half. Okay. Well, there you go. Liter- I mean, every oval over a mile and a half. I mean, I'm talking. Sh- Chicagoland, Kansas. I'm talking uh, Las Vegas. I want Auto Club. I want Michigan. I want. Uh, let's see here. What else? What, what else is really, really good for an IndyCar Series race? Um, there's more. I'm thinking of top. My Texas, of course. Got to go to Texas. Yeah. Uh, gotta go to Texas. Heck, go to Texas three times. I don't care. Uh, old. One of the old Kentuckys on there. Uh, Kentucky's also. You know what? You know what I watched last night. I watched two Kentucky races. The first one I ever went, the first race I ever went to was 2003 Kentucky Indy 300. I uh, watched that last night, and then I watched 2011 race Kentucky. Kentucky has some great IndyCar races, and it's a shame that that track does not host IndyCar races anymore. In fact, every major cookie-cutter oval should be hosting IndyCar races and, and, uh, instead of NASCAR races. I mean, truthfully, 
truthfully, that's how I feel about it. I mean, NASCAR should be going to short tracks, some some uh, mile and a half, and some two miles. But IndyCar should be on those. IndyCar should be at places like Chicagoland, Kansas, Kentucky, Texas, uh, Charlotte, Atlanta. Go for those. Go. Do it. It's what I want, especially in a virtual world where nobody can complain about safety and say, no, this car isn't safe. They should be going to Pocono. Make them go back to Pocono. I say make them go back to Pocono, and all the people who complained about it can realize just how fun this track is if they use their heads and are smart. There you go. All right, I'm done. I'm done. That took, what, maybe a couple of minutes? A minute and a half? I upshift the idea, too, of extending it. Um, I like going to, going anywhere that they don't go, uh, and also some tracks that maybe they do go to. Um, go back to Dover. I would like to see, I would like to see the problem. I would like to see them race the, because they don't have the current Indy GP circuit scanned. I would like to see them race the Indy GP circuit where they race the motorcycle. The, the little loop on the motorcycle, just, yes. just, just, to, just to talk, just to mix things up a little bit. You know what I really want to see is I want to see that? a configuration of the Indianapolis road course use the inner loop and like the loop that has the kink, and then they still use, but they still use the snake pit complex. That's what I want to see. I that's what see they have. That. That's what they have. right, right. But I mean, yeah. that's that's the best. Maybe they have it. I don't but know. I, it is a, yeah, yeah. But I, that's I would, the best configuration, in my opinion, of the course because i think it's the most technical and also most interesting configuration i mean yes you can get that huge run down the holman boulevard with the way things are now but it's not like you couldn't do that before yeah you know it's not like you couldn't do that before you just get more speed going in there i think the draft still t- plays the same role as it always did yeah so that one um I want to see them race the NASCAR Sonoma, the old, the, the, the 1.99 mile Sonoma. Let's go to the Charlotte Roval because I'm not now, now I'm a little concerned it's not going to get chosen. I do want to see them go there because it was really cool to see Joseph Newgarden. Charlotte Roval would be good, but I would be a lot happier if they just did the Charlotte Oval. Well, they oh, yeah. They can, they can do both. They can do both. There's another that says they can't do only one um they can only do only one so hey i i and, and let's do an international race let's go to a track that like silverstone i think it'd be really cool to run silverstone in any cars so i think that'd be pretty cool um so the last one here let's make this one quick too um now in back-to-back weeks drivers have been ejected for reckless driving on national television do you upshift or downshift as someone who's been ejected for reckless driving before, yes. I mean, you got to learn your lesson. You got to learn your lesson. I learned my lesson. I so learned are you my upshifting lesson. or downshifting? I'm upshifting because I learned my lesson when I was 12 years old. And I was a dummy who decided to go in there, plow everybody just for funsies and not know how to, not know when to break and stuff. I did some stupid stuff when I was 12, 13, uh, behind the wheel of a virtual race car. So... It, it might be, not be a bad idea to punish some of these drivers if they're going to make themselves and everybody else. Because, like, I, watching whatever they did on Bristol there, watching that Kyle Larson, and, and, and it just, there's no place for that in real life and in, in, in the virtual world. There's just no place for that. It's just don't, you don't need to be just trying and intent wreck somebody because they're just trying to have the, run their race. You're just trying to run your race. Just let just let it go. I mean, you can intent wreck somebody anywhere else. You can intent wreck them on going into the pit road because it's who cares? You know, nobody's going to stop you. You know, do it after the race. You don't need to be doing it during the race and make everybody 
make the series and make the drivers look bad. I'm downshifting. Okay. These guys should already know these lessons. Okay. I, I, and, you, and you said it right there. It has no place for in the real or virtual world. For that reason, right there, I downshift. These guys should know better. All right. They should keep their cool. Daniel Suarez, would you do that to Ty Dillon, even though you thought it was Austin Dillon at Texas? No, he thought it was his I, dog. I would, his I dog would, has yeah, a vendetta against Austin Dillon. Whatever. I, I don't believe the dog <laughs> jumped on him at all. You don't do it in real life. Do you do this hokey pokey dance, Kyle and Daniel, at, at, at Bristol in real life or anywhere in real life? No. Clint, do you wreck? Because Clint should have been ejected, in my opinion. He admitted it, and yeah. he should, the second time, she went boom, parked. Uh, I don't care if he's on Fox. If or they not. ejected Clint, I don't think that they would have that Bubba would have rage quitted. Well, he, I think he, he didn't have time to find out if he was ejected or not. But the you don't do it. This is it, to me, it was childish and dumb to do what these guys have done and wreck each other intentionally, whether you are in virtual world or not. Is no place for it. Like if these guys want to play place. GTA and Burnout Revenge, they could. Go, go play go Wreck load Fest. up your PS2 and play those games. But this is iRacing. This is supposed to be a simulator. You're supposed this is to serious. Conduct. Exactly. Yeah. You, this is what you're doing to keep the fans engaged, and you are kicking every other sport's butt. Yeah. Okay? You that. are owning the live sports arena right now. All right? The only person who could potentially touch you is Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson. Okay? The only people well, who can Dana touch White's you right now. Dana White's got a private island. Do you hear about that? Dana White's going to... Host okay, UFC well, events on a private a, Okay, fine. UFC. If you're interested in that, I'm not. Sorry, I'm not interested in that stuff. Hey, WrestleMania was are. this weekend too, in front of zero people. Yeah. So you can. I mean, again, you gotta, you gotta remember what you're doing. And if I'm NASCAR, I'm talking to these guys like, sh- you know, shape up or ship out. That's all I'm saying. With that, we gotta move on here. We're gonna go about five minutes over here, maybe even a little bit more um, than our usual targeted time. Roller featured racetrack. All right. Last week we talked about a board track on the East Coast. This week we take a flight out west to California into another board track, the Beverly Hills Speedway. Uh, the Beverly Hills Speedway, also Beverly known as Los Angeles. Yes, Los. It was also known as Los Angeles Motor Speedway. It was built in 1920. The track was financed by many of uh, many in the motion pictures industry. Uh, the land it would be uh, built on was bought for a thousand dollars an acre. That's really nice. The twenty twenty that looks like a good price. I'm sure back in nineteen twenty that was a, that was hefty. That was a lot of that money. That was hefty, but it's pretty good. Still a good, pretty good price. Now the one stipulated to the purchase, though, the farmer had to harvest his crops first before construction could begin. That was the only thing. All right. And then Jack Prince uh, built the track at a cost of five hundred thousand dollars. Grandstands were located on the front and back stretches. And in a line of eucalyptus trees uh, behind the backstretch, they kind of lined. It would kind of make probably really nice picturesque. Kind of, I, I thought about uh, what Auto Club has right now uh, with their palm trees there. Um, the front grandstands were covered and also had private seating. The track was banked at 37 degrees and was a, a one and a quarter mile length board track. Did you say 37 degrees? Well, that's not oh. as high as it was last week. It was like 45 degrees last week. It, right, but still 37 is – I mean, I think about Texas when it was 24. Mm-hmm. I 37 I – mean, I mean, what is Daytona? Daytona's 36, right? Daytona's 36. Daytona's 36. 36. So Daytona. we're looking at a track that's banked higher almost than Daytona. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the first race was on February 28, 1920. 
It was race number one of the 1920 AAA Champ Car Series season. Many drivers who participate in that year's Indianapolis 500 would be in that race. Uh, an estimated 50,000 people were in attendance. Jimmy Murphy, who went on to win the 1921 French Grand Prix, the 1922 Indianapolis 500, and the 1922 and 1924 AAA Champ Car Driver Championships, won the inaugural 200-lap event. The average speed was 103.24 miles an hour. Sadly, uh, you can't talk about this track without the tragedy that happened on Thanksgiving Day in 1920. A crash claimed the life of that year's Indianapolis 500 winner, Gaston Chevrolet, and uh, another driver, Eddie O'Donnell, and his riding mechanic, Lyle Yoles. Um, they perished the next day. Uh, the race was won by Roscoe Sarles. On April 24th, 1921, motorcycle races were held. Albert Shrimp Burns was one of the top racers in the day. Uh, he had crashed earlier that day in a motorcycle, his own motorcycle, but returned to the track with bandages on and set a new speed record for a uh, stock motorcycle uh, in competition at 102.5 miles an hour with a borrowed bike. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Pete DiPaolo began his driving career at Beverly Hills. Uh, it was race number one of the 1922 AAA Champ Car season. Um, he only completed, though, 98 circuits before suffering a piston failure. He finished 12th of 13 cars that day. Uh, it would take him three more years before he won his first race at Fresno Speedway. Uh, DeBall's second career victory, though, was in 1925 at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, he later won that the 1925 championship and went on to win another in 1927. The final event was held nearly four years to the day after the first, or to the first, on February 24th, 1924. The largest crowd for an automobile race at the time showed up 85,000 persons worth. 17 cars took to the high wooden banks of Beverly Hills with 12 running at the finish, nine of which uh, completed all 200 laps. Harlan fin Fingler crossed the finish line first, leading flag to flag. Jerry Wonderlick and Harry Hartz. Remember him from last week? They rounded out the podium. The win was a particular popular one in uh, the Hollywood circles as Fingler was engaged to movie star Shirley Mason. Uh, she had begged him actually to stop racing, but instead he would wire his love to her before each race and wire her afterwards saying he was okay. Um, however, the two never did get married. Uh, Fingler would later become the chief steward of the Indianapolis Premier Speedway from 1958 to 1974. Uh, of the 23 AAA champ car races held between 1920 and 1924, Jimmy Murphy, Tommy Milton, and Eddie Hearn competed in the most with 20 starts apiece. Murphy led all winners with seven victories. He completed a, a 1,867 laps, leading 294 of them. So he won seven races, only led 294 laps to record. There's a couple incomplete ones, so I'm sure he led a couple bit more. Um but uh, he led the most laps in one race at 153. Uh, and the fewest laps he ever led in a victory was two. He also led four in eight laps in two other victories. So kind of a where-did-he-come-from-Kevin-Harvick style victory. Um, in, in his 867 laps completed, according to the available records, um, that's also the most laps com completed by a driver at the track. Again, going with available records, Tommy Milton led the most laps Ever out on the circuit with 411 laps led. Milton and Murphy led all drivers with 16 top fives, which is, I mean, you talk about fields with 15 um, cars in it, but still not to have failures is pretty remarkable to say the, to say the least. A um, couple other side notes here. I wish I had more on this, but uh, the track also hosted other events like horse shows. 
and was the site of movies or movies were filmed too. Obviously, it's in Hollywood, near Hollywood, it's in Beverly Hills, but it's Hollywood. Um, so the track ultimately fell to a rising value over the land it occupied and was sold and demolished. Promoters quickly moved to build a new track in nearby Culver City, just south of the MGM Studios, which I may discuss in the future. Probably won't be last week because I don't know if I could do three board tracks in a row. I could, but I won't. I think you could. I think I could, but I think I might save that one for another day. Uh, within 10 years of Beverly Hills closure, new roads and stores and houses crossed the property. Um, today, the land that Beverly Hills Speedway once stood is occupied by storefronts and residential buildings still. Uh, the approximate location of the track is just south, southeast of Barney's, New York, a high-end clothing store, on the corner of Wilshire Boulevard and South Candom Drive. Uh, and that's, again, still Beverly Hills neighborhood there. Um, the northeastern turn was located approximately where the Beverly Wilshire Hotel stands today. That was built in 1927, I believe. So Racing Reference, Los Angeles Times, The History of America Speedways, Past and Present, and FilmPreservation.org assisted with today's Rollers Featured Racetrack. So, Rob, any last words today before we hit the what's in the windshield? I think that's, that's, I think as soon as you said Beverly Hills, I was like, man, there's no way this track lasted more than a few years. Because <laughs> knowing, you know, I think knowing how how hard it is to keep a racetrack in California, or, or Florida, where land is just so valuable. Like, I think it's amazing that Auto Club Speedway, I think Penske was so smart building it in a place on a former industrial certain mm-hmm. place so that the land was already devalued so that he wouldn't have to deal with like rising land values and suddenly end up. And it's still in a very out. industrial place. Yeah. So, I mean, but like you look at a place like Ontario out there where it was just like, you could never do that again. You could never put a racetrack in a, a place like that ever again. Ontario being like, uh, just being where it is. You know, it's so yeah. close to Santa Same thing with Riverside. And yeah, Riverside, too. Yeah, Riverside is... I mean, you could probably make it work a little bit better in Northern California, but Southern California is almost... A, it, it's a miracle that Auto Club is, is still in SoCal. Because, like, I feel like trying to build a racetrack in Southern California now would just be way too hard. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> All right, so what's in the windshield? Um, if you listen to this in time on Wednesday... All right, we're releasing it on Wednesday... April the 8th. If you listen to it in time, you can catch NBC's East Esports Short Track Racing Challenge at the virtual Myrtle Beach Speedway. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is also in that race. And a guy who I think is just undervalued and showing his stuff, Landon Castle is also in that race too. I'm excited to watch him. That, um, and again, the winners of that race and a couple other provisionals will be handed out. They will race on Thursday night for the um, championship race at the virtual Martinsville Speedway. Also tonight, on Wednesday, if you listen to it in time, it's the second occurrence of Wednesday night iRacing on FS1 at the virtual Knoxville Raceway at 8 p.m. Uh, I shouldn't mention the NBC is on 7 p.m. This one's at 8 p.m., so they don't you don't have to miss anything. Again, the Sprint Car, the uh, World of Outlaws Sprint Cars and Late Model Series will be there. Um, and I think Johnny Gibson's going to still be there, too. So it's very going to be cool to hear his voice once again. On Saturday, the IndyCar iRacing Challenge resumes at the virtual Michigan International Speedway. It's race number three of currently six. We're hoping for more. Um, and IndyCar hasn't raced there since 2007. As we discussed this earlier, there's only a handful of guys who have raced there who are currently still racing. Tony Kanaan, Marco Andretti, Ryan Hunter Race, Scott Dixon, Ed Carpenter. Uh, Ed Carpenter hasn't raced in these IndyCar iRacing Challenges. Marco Andretti, I think, is going to. Um, so we're, and, and Ryan Hunter Ray hasn't either. 
Hopefully he does too. I really want all these guys to be racing just to see. Hey, did it? Is it still? Is it still with? Him? All right, and um, you know, though it was discussed, NASCAR won't be racing on Easter Sunday um, on Fox, but we got to wait one week until we, uh, well, an extra weekend until they go race at the virtual Richmond Raceway. So that's what's in the windshield. We're going to have some fun stuff to talk about a week from now and for you guys to listen a week from now too. So, hey, thanks for listening. We know we ran a little bit long here today. We had a lot to talk about, a lot of stuff to share, a lot of opinions to express. But that's what the show's about. We have fun doing it. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter. Rob is at R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. That's Rob Peters 33. Uh, I'm at Roller underscore zero one. R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. You also follow the podcast at Rob and Roller, just as it sounds. So, hey, for Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this was a Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, for-